Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 4th of July edition of Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I know some of you who will be listening on Sci-Fi Radio will be getting this a few days after the 4th, but as we are recording it now, we are just a few days before the 4th, and I myself have uh, some travel plans. We're going to be heading off to California to cover uh, 4th of July at Knott's, and then a couple days at Disneyland and California Adventure with the granddaughter as we celebrate her uh, upcoming birthday, so obviously having to get the recording in, we normally try to record uh, on Sunday, but we are good to go with that. We're going to have a uh, shorter than usual show just because being with the holiday, uh, not as many topics to discuss, but we do have four really good topics we want to discuss, and I'm joined as always with Justin and Michael, so really quick, remember on SKNR.net, we cover all things movies, games, television, travel, entertainment, pop culture, and more. You can catch us at Sci-Fi Radio. You can also go to canalcentral.com, keyword skewed, which is a network of newspapers that cover our uh, reviews. So it's like 10 papers in 21 markets. Uh, we also have our quarterly magazine. We're actually finishing up the latest issue right now, and that should be available at the usual outlets in a couple of days. And, of course, you can catch me on BGSA's Geek Nation on KSW. FM, as well as our syndication partners, everything from, as I mentioned, Sci-Fi Radio to Open Critic. So, as we jump into the 4th of July weekend, uh, a little odd since 4th of July is falling uh, during the week. However, uh, traditionally, it is big business at the box office. This has been a uh, time frame that a lot of films look to stake out because people have time off. They uh, go out to see movies, and they pack the theaters. Well, uh, this weekend we had the release of the long-anticipated Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is billed as the final outing for uh, Harrison Ford's uh, famed archaeologist. And it also is coming out with a reported uh, production cost of $250 to $300 Uh, The box office is out, and it is uh, to be generous, tepid, compared to what they had hoped. The box office numbers are uh, $82 domestic. Now, this does count um, certain, you know, earlier shows and stuff like that on Thursday night. Uh, $70 international, $152 worldwide. Now, they're, depending on how the accounting works... A lot of people are speculating the film needs to make at least $600 million, probably $700 million to be profitable. With this kind of opening, that's going to be a big stretch. I mean, obviously, the next week is going to be key. How many people are going to come during the week where you actually have the 4th of July holiday? That being said, we've got Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 uh, rapidly bearing down on it. So, Michael, we'll start with you. What do you make of this? Yeah, I think that's very disappointing to say the least. Um, for the you know for the franchise, for the um, studio, uh, and everybody in between. I mean, obviously, with Fourth um, of July being on Tuesday, we might see some higher numbers during the week than we would normally, just because of the holiday. But I, I would think typically, a, you know, Fourth of July summer blockbuster type movie. Um, it's hot outside. That's when a lot of people go to the theater to kind of escape the heat, get a little bit of free air conditioning. And honestly, um, even that 
wasn't even enough to draw draw people in. So, um, yeah, I, I think what we're going to see is what we've seen with the other movies as well is probably a pretty sharp decline in the next week or so, particularly with Mission Impossible coming out. And I would say, again, it's a really big disappointment for the franchise. I mean, I myself have not yet seen it. Um, I plan to get to see it this weekend, either tonight or over the 4th of July. But all in all, I, I would say that that's probably a huge disappointment for um, the Indiana Jones franchise as a whole. Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I just echo what Michael's saying. It's uh, it's a huge disappointment um, for Disney and Indiana Jones just because uh, a lot of this is, even if they make up a little bit during the week with people being off on the 4th of July itself, uh, the first weekend is indicative of, of um, what to expect overall just because it is it is really about momentum. Um, usually, movies don't typically pick up over time they usually drop off over time um so i don't i at, at this point you know i i do think um a lot of the production companies have to kind of take a, a really good look at their franchises um because the name itself is not is clearly not enough um to on its own um i know that there has been some kind of mixed reception uh, among reviewers i mean obviously i haven't seen it myself so i can't comment but um i wonder you know if when they approach a lot of these older franchises if uh they have to kind of think about a new approach you know it's interesting i looked up foreign market now according to this uh it is going to open in china and according to what we're seeing it has already opened in china however when I look at the numbers, uh, we see France, Germany, Italy, Spain, United Kingdom, Australia, and Japan listed as the foreign countries that are tallied into the numbers. So, you know, it is entirely possible as additional countries roll out that we might see a boost in the numbers. I mean, China can often be a make or break for these kind of things, but as my understanding goes it's not a very well-known uh franchise now uh looking ahead i looked at next weekend and you've got insidious the red door horror films definitely do well considering they have a, a tighter budget and there also is joyride which is absolutely hysterical i saw it weeks ago uh but you also have to factor in that is going to be a uh, raunchy r-rated comedy smaller budget but nonetheless this is competition and then you have, uh, like you said, a week, and then you're going to start seeing um, Mission Impossible. So essentially, Indy Jones is going to have a week, and then it's going to have to contend with Insidious, Joyride, and then another week, and it's going to have to contend with um, with Mission Impossible. So essentially, next week is going to be very, very telling for it. Now, what is very interesting is if you look at its uh, general score on the aggregate sites, and we'll just use Rotten Tomatoes as an example, Justin mentioned that it wasn't going over as well with uh, critics. Now, I personally did not have a problem with it. Um, obviously, my, my take on it is that nothing is going to be the first film, and to expect it to be the first film is just, you know, not realistic. I, I liked it better than Crystal Skull. I kind of liked it a little better than 
last crusade, uh, but you know, there you have it. Now, currently on Rotten Tomatoes with 307 critic reviews, it's at 68%, but with 2,500 plus audience reviews or audience scores, they have it at 88%. So again, this is an example of a summer tentpole film that the critics were lukewarm to, but the public seems to be satisfied with it. So it'll be interesting to see how many people who have already seen it will go back and see it again and again, how many people who have not seen it will go and how it plays out overseas. So it'll be an interesting week ahead. Another interesting aspect that I wanted to touch on was the ongoing SAG-AFTRA negotiations between the cinema, um, the studios, let's just call it the studios, they represent the streamers and the film studios and the actors. And uh, the deadline was supposed to hit on June 30th at midnight. And the two sides released a joint statement that talks are ongoing and they've agreed to go through July 12th at midnight. Now, some people had said that this was likely due to them taking time off for the 4th of July holiday. However, I was uh, informed that negotiations continued uh, yesterday, which was Saturday, uh, July 1st. I believe they are meeting today and possibly tomorrow before taking a break of a day or two uh, for this. Now, on the selfish side, I said, gee, it's a shame they couldn't have gone through the end of the month. That way we would have been guaranteed to have talent at San Diego Comic-Con, but that's where we are. So, Justin, we'll start with you. What do you make of this? Yeah, this story continues to be pretty fascinating, um, and it's kind of taking the twists and turns that are kind of unexpected, um, because, you know, who knows where this is going to go. Obviously, my only living memory of anything like this is the the previous um, uh, writer's strike um, from... 2000 the early 2000s so it's not really following the same playbook um now that the screen actors guild is now involved as well so um it's hard to predict where this is going to go how long this is going to last but um you know i know what we were talking about it you know maybe if um some pressure could be uh, applied uh, by the studios um you know, given that a lot of these uh, projects, you know, involve the actors themselves, can they come up with some sort of agreement, um, you know, for the sake of uh, a lot of these projects that they're involved with, but uh, who knows where this is going to go. Um, you know, every every week seems to kind of um, reveal something new that is kind of unexpected, so it's hard to kind of predict where, where everything's going to end up. Absolutely. Michael, your take, please? Yeah, I don't know see how to read into this because i know there was a lot of confidence around the june 30th deadline where they felt negotiations were going well um this kind of drags down a little bit more i mean i can understand them kind of taking time off for fourth of july maybe that's why they pushed it out to um you know closer to mid-july than you know say july 7th or 8th or whatever but um you know it, it sounds like there's some sort of progress being but I don't know that it's being made fast enough for them to avoid um, what what could be a potential strike, you know, by that time in July, because we really don't know what the details are. They said they've been making positive strides, but again, um, this even the negotiations have been going on for a while. So I guess we just kind of wait and see what happens as we get closer to the deadline. Yeah, uh, it is 
a bit crazy because as we talked about it, we had the release from the actor's side that implied that things were going well. And then the very next thing we know is that several prominent actors from Jennifer Lawrence to Meryl Streep essentially signed a letter saying, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, we're prepared to strike if we don't get a deal and we want one that is not just better than what we have, one that really addresses our issues. Um, I've heard that while the talks are cordial, they are apart on certain things and then, you know, go figure. Uh, and then more and more people started adding their names to the um, list. And it's really interesting uh, because, you know, I, I was reading about uh, lots of stuff. We've speculated um, Comic-Con is set to announce its full lineup after July 4th. And so, you know, that's going to affect things. And then I also said we were discussing how um, this could affect publicity tours for upcoming films. This could affect award shows that are coming up. Uh, there's so many crazy um, scenarios out there, and it, it's it's crazy. But it, it basically it says, uh, this is according to Deadline, SAG after is golden rule number one, which is more restrictive than the Writers Guild has to deal with, is no member shall render any services or make an agreement to perform services for any employer who has not executed a basic minimum agreement with the union, which is in full force and effect, so on and so forth. So essentially that means uh, you can't do anything without them. So it would come down to either an agreement having to be made, an extension having to be made, uh, or the two sides saying, well, talks are progressing, we're not going to go on strike, but we always have the option to go at any moment, or basically, hey, we're going to give you a waiver to go to Comic-Con and promote your product. So that is crazy, because, you know, remember, we also have to worry about the Golden Globes and things like that coming up. So this is uh, an ongoing thing. I don't expect anything to happen this week, but like I told someone, I said it's not uncommon for these labor negotiations to go down to the 11th hour because you'll have situations where sides will say we're willing to go here, but we're going to hammer home on this. And, you know, they keep hammering. We want this. We want this. And the other side, no, we're not going to give that. Well, both sides know that there's some gift, but they, they push and they push and they push until the absolute last moment and then play the, okay, well, if we give you this, will you give us that? Okay, bang and then stuff starts to come out. You know, it usually takes um, one or two areas of um, debate, and once they get over one of those hurdles, usually the rest of it tends to come in. But from what I understand, they're not. it's not hostile. They at least have a framework. I mean, they're not in agreement on numbers and stuff like that, but they at least seem to have a framework of, okay, we got to get this. And... Um, you know, I, I had a thing the other day, guys, and this, this is really fantastic, and this really tries to put it in perspective. I had people say, well, you know, they're making all this money and blah, 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 and that's just apples and oranges because if you look at the actual number of people who consider themselves members of the Screen Actors Guild, they're not all making a lot of money. That's, a, a, you know, a misnomer. So I heard a scenario, and I said, and it was really, really interesting. And this had to do with um, background actors who were part of the union. It's not all extras are 
you know, day laborers, there are some that are actually part of the union. And they talked about how um, when they when a movie was being filmed, they can often get two, three weeks, four weeks worth of work walking around in the background. And it means that, you know, sure, you're not being seen focused, you're just a body in the background. But nonetheless, that is a couple weeks worth of work. Well, nowadays, they come on set for one day, they scan them, and then they use their digital imaging for the rest of the day. So they're saying, well, I only get one day of work now. When I would have had anywhere from three weeks to a month, maybe even longer, because they essentially have the ability to scan my likeness, and that's essentially part of the job. I show up to work my day, they can scan me and use my likeness. And then there are certain loopholes where, like, if they do sequels or things like that, they can continue to use my likeness without having to compensate me for it. And it's not just the money. They have to have so much time accumulated in order to be eligible for pensions and health care benefits. And that is a big sticking point where they're saying, look, if you're using technology to essentially replace me, cut my workload down from three, four weeks to one day, this is also going to affect the amount of time that I have to work, uh, that I can work to get a pension. So these are the little things that we don't hear about. Everyone thinks it's millionaires fighting with billionaires, and it, there, there's much more to it. So that's why you have to realize it is a very large and complicated issue. Now, moving on to a more uh, interesting uh, topic in terms of, uh, from a positive side of things, let's look at the brand new Superman and Lois Lane. Um, Michael, why don't you start us off? What do you, who, who do we have and what do you think? I figured you were going to ask me who it was and I don't even have it up anymore. But, um, so I, I do know that one of the things that they wanted to focus on uh, that Gunn wanted to focus on was a more optimistic um, Superman take, because obviously from the DC universe with Cavill's character, he was more of a dark, brooding Superman, which I think was kind of the direction that um, they had been trying to go with the DCU, but it wasn't really true to Superman's character form um, as much. So, you know, obviously they're going to go with a uh, younger Clark Kent um, somebody who's a little bit more uh, Boy Scouty, I guess is a good way to phrase it. Uh, a much uh, um, optimistic, uh, you know, happier Superman take. So I think it's it's definitely going to I think feel more in line with um, the earlier Superman comics. His um, approach to being, you know, just you know, kind of like we got with uh, looking at like Smallville um, from a more um, wide-eyed, uh, younger, early 20s kind of Superman, you know, not jaded about what's going on in the world, and just generally being um, a, a much more lighthearted version of the character that I think a lot of us know. So I think it's going to be a, an interesting change. Uh, you know, it kind of takes Superman back to his roots a bit, uh, kind of escapes that, uh, the dark um, atmosphere that the DCU had been going for, and we'll just kind of see where we end up. Justin, what do you make of all that? Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting take. Um, I'm curious about it. Kind of like what Michael is saying. Um, Superman as a character is typically uh, a lot more optimistic and, and of, a, of a brighter character. And it was one of the 
main criticisms of the Snyderverse version of, of Superman, which was very different. Um, the actor is David Cornsweet. Um, I, I'm not really familiar with, with that actor in, in particular, but um, it does, you know, it is pretty clear that they're going for a much younger uh, take on Superman. Um, so that should be interesting um, just in and of itself. Usually we, uh, the Superman movies that we've gotten, um, he's usually much older, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. So I wonder if they're kind of going with a, with an approach similar to what they did with the Batman, recent Batman movie where they cast a uh, much younger Batman um, or Bruce Wayne, I should say. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. I mean, like we've spoken about before, um, the DC cinematic universe really does need, need uh, a new, approach and um hopefully if if this is good it will remain consistent absolutely now uh on the good side of things too uh we've got news that dc press is going to return to the show floor at san diego comic-con and uh, some of the key things to look forward to is jim lee is going to be there todd mcfarlane is going to be there uh, there's going to be things at McFarland Toys and others. But here's some interesting things to look forward to. Uh, on their television preview night, which is scheduled uh, for Wednesday, uh, which would be the, you know, obviously preview night, Teen Titans Go, uh, Super Powered the DC Story. And uh, this is also going to be coming out on uh, HBO Max. There is a Dawn of DC thing. Uh, there is uh, something on Harley Quinn. Uh, let's see. We got the Between Two Toms, uh, a discussion on Gotham City. And then, of course, um, there's just so much stuff out there. Now, what I am really, really intrigued about is that there is supposed to be a premiere for um, one of the new animated films and that is scheduled for nine o'clock to 11 p.m justice league war world and so that is going to be a really interesting situation and then of course you have like the world of metropolis dc books for young readers signings and booth events so on and so forth and so we will start with justin uh what do you think yeah it's uh it's a good lineup i'm really curious to see uh what what we see there and Michael, your take, please. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, obviously, if the actors thing doesn't get resolved, it'll be it would be interesting to see other types of media there. And again, it is Comic Con, so the focus more on you know the comics, uh, DC press showing up, that sort of thing. Um, having some, some more ex- exposure to the animated side of things, I think we kind of get a little tied up in in new uh, television shows or movies and that sort of thing. It kind of takes away from what. Uh, Comic-Con's roots were, which was actually focused on comics and um, the animated side of things. So I think it's really interesting that we can kind of get, you know, to fill some of the space with potentially some of the actors not being able to, to show up, um, we get more exposure to what some of the original roots were. So, yeah, I think all of this stuff is going to be fairly interesting. And a final thing, too, that I wanted to point out, this came out last week at a uh, uh, one of the uh, trade shows that was going around we are getting a brand new blade runner game for the 
first time in 25 years uh, developed by Annapurna Interactive. It is called Blade Runner 2033 Labyrinth. It takes place in time, uh, in the timeline between the original film and Blade Runner 2049. I had a look at some of the uh, animation for it, and it definitely seems to catch the uh, mood and the look of Blade Runner. So uh, not quite sure how the gameplay is going to be uh, for it, but it definitely looks good. So, um, you know, with Blade Runner 2099 on hold over at Prime Video, it'll be nice to have a little bit of uh, Blade Runner action to tide us over. And that is going to do it for us this week, folks. Hope you have a very safe and happy 4th of July, or depending on when you're hearing it, I hope you had a very safe and happy 4th of July. And we'll be back next week to update you and talk more about uh, the news and events and hopefully better news on the labor front and a little bit of an idea about what we have upcoming at Comic-Con and more. Until then, take care. <laughs>